Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham Smythe for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Glad to have you with us on this magnificent Monday. If you're a Raider fan, maybe it's not so magnificent. Man, it has been crazy here the last few weeks and uh, more news coming down today with the Raiders. We'll get into all that with you. We'll recap what took place yesterday at the Meadowlands. And we warned you about it. We talked about it all last week that the Giants have been playing some pretty good football as of late. Probably should have beat Kansas City the week before. They were going to be ready for the Raiders. The Raiders coming off the bye week and, of course, everything else that has transpired uh, over the last six, seven days with the Henry Ruggs situation, Damon Arnett. So we have more news with that for you. Uh, today you'll hear some sound from Mike Mayock, the general manager, who just spoke about two hours ago. We'll bring you some audio from Mike Mayock there. You'll hear from Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback. Uh, as well, and uh, Rich Basaccia, the head coach of the Raiders, and Darren Waller, the Raiders tight end as well. So we've got plenty of Raiders talk today, plenty of Raiders coverage as we talk about what took place yesterday in the Meadowlands as the Raiders fall to the Giants 23-16. to We've got that. Then, of course, as you know, Saturday night I was at Canelo and Plant, uh, 16,000-plus a sellout, the MGM Grand Garden Arena Saturday night. We will recap that, relive that, and again, just a, another exciting fight uh, here in Vegas uh, with Canelo Alvarez. Every time Canelo is in town, it is an electric atmosphere and a fantastic fight. And once again, Canelo lived up to the billing, taking care of Caleb Plant, pretty much just as we had talked about all last week, that this was had all the makings to be a one-sided fight. And of course, uh, that's exactly what happened. So... We will talk about that, Saturday night's fight, where Canelo Alvarez delivers an 11th round knockout to Caleb Plant. Uh, two knockdowns in the 11th round. First time Caleb Plant has ever been knocked down, but then again, first time Caleb Plant has ever gotten the ring with someone like Canelo Alvarez. So uh, Marquise Johns, the editor of Big Fight Weekend, he will uh, join us um, a little bit later on next hour as uh, we talk about that. So actually this hour we'll we'll talk about that with uh, Marquise Johns. So he will join us there. Three o'clock, Kevin Kruger is going to join us. The UNLV head coach. Love talking to Kevin. As you know, I think the last time that we talked to Coach Kruger was during our song fest when uh, he chimed in. When we did uh, our, our, our favorite songs, best songs, going back a, a few months uh, ago. Numchuck, how well do you remember Kevin Kruger's go-to song? Now, when we have our regular guests on, you seem to remember because you play their songs. Do I need to tell you? Are you going to have his song ready when we bring him on next hour? Okay, yeah, Kevin Kruger. Be making his UNLV head coaching debut Wednesday night as UNLV will take the floor for the very first time this season, taking on Gardner Webb. All right, Gardner Webb. 
at a little small town in North Carolina. I think it's Bowling Springs, North Carolina. Gardner Webb. There we go. Oh, look at you. See, you know, I think you had to look it up. I think you had to look it up. There's a little teaser. Kevin Kruger's song there. Exactly. All right. So we'll talk UNLV hoops. It is that time to start talking uh, about UNLV hoops here. And lo and behold, the Rebels football team gets a win. Now, the game was virtually a pick 'em, and we figured that UNLV, I don't want to say would beat New Mexico, but they did. They got their first victory. So happy for Marcus Arroyo and that staff. But still, it's one victory. Still pretty sad. And probably the only victory that will happen this year. But uh, it's, it sounds terrible that we even got to say, oh, baby steps here. That's ridiculous. For a Division I football program to be celebrating your first victory of the season in the second weekend in November, no good. No good. But you're expected to beat New Mexico. I don't care where you're playing them at. So congratulations to the Rebels for that. But basketball should be bright. Should be bright and uh, very excited for Kevin Kruger. So he'll join us next hour, as will Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity. And we talk about uh, what happened at the sports book yesterday. And nine and three were the underdogs barking again with seven outright winners. And as you know, we had a few of those outright winners as well, too, from our best bet segment at the Cosmopolitan last Friday. So Matt Holt will join us. So action packed show coming your way. And if you got some thoughts, Regarding the Raiders or anything else, give us a call. 702-221-7283. 702-221-7283. And uh, tell us what your eyes saw yesterday's game at the Meadowlands as the Raiders lose to the Giants 23-16. to All right. So, let's talk about the game. Three turnovers. That was the demise. It wasn't about were the Raiders ready to play because everything that transpired going back to last Monday, the Henry Ruggs situation, you know, just driving like a madman, drunk, killing a female motorist and her dog, tragic. And we talked all about that last week. It was horrific, horrendous. But the Raiders had a lot on their plate, of course. How are they going to respond? And these guys are professional athletes, especially dealing with losing your head coach three weeks ago. You had to come off of that. You go back to even three months ago where they lost their the president, all right, Mark Bedane. And they're, you know, going through these situations has been horrendous. And then Friday we get the news that Damon Arnett, uh, you know, video surfaced and a story uh, surfaced back from last year when not only did he get in an automobile accident heading into the Raiders facility there in Henderson, but that he had an altercation with a valet attendant at the Aria where he brandished a gun and was arguing because he couldn't find his claim ticket. So that news broke down on Friday. Good friends from Channel 13 came down and and talked to us at the Cosmopolitan uh, if you saw that, that coverage of Channel 13, well, not us, but I mean, okay, gotcha. Uh, you know, I'm a team guy. I like to say us. So, you know, me is us. That's it. So anyway, uh, today we have news that uh, Mike Mayock called a sudden press conference and decided to release Damon Arnett. 
the first-round pick from 2020 after video surfaced this past weekend of Arnett making death threats and brandishing the firearm, uh, as we talked about. So we'll get into all that. But all that chaos, all that turmoil that took place last week, in my opinion, really did not have that much to do or really anything to do with how they played against the Giants. Yes, they were coming off a bye week, going to be a little bit rusty. You know, we've seen a lot of teams coming off bye weeks that are rusty. You've got, you're traveling to the East Coast, all right? You got the morning game, all of that stuff, right? But the bottom line was Derek Carr. Even though he looked good at times, he was the cause of some bad turnovers yesterday. Two interceptions for Carr. Raiders also had a fumble. They were outscored 13-3 to in the second half. Let's talk about the second half possessions. All right, we go back to the first half, though, real quick. And the Raiders' first possession, what happened? Boom, 7 nothing, just like that. Giants get the ball. They tie it up. Boom, 7-7. So it looks like, okay, this is going to be a football game. But the second half possessions, that's where this game was lost for the Raiders. Here were their second half possessions yesterday. All right? They get the kickoff to start the third quarter. On their third play, car, interception, boom, return for a touchdown. So they have an interception. They get a field goal. Then you have a missed field goal. Then you have another interception. And their final possession, they have a fumble. So think about that. You've got three turnovers all in the second half and a missed field goal. You have no touchdown drives whatsoever. You don't even have a punt in there. You got a a missed field goal. And that's your game right there. You got to travel 3,000 miles back home with a bad loss. And the taste of your mouth as they lose to the Giants by a touchdown, 23-16. And the Raiders had a lot of opportunities. Yes, there was a lot of skepticism going into this game. Like we mentioned, rugs, Arnett, bye week, travel. But the bottom line is this. Raiders beat themselves. They outgained the Giants yesterday, 403-245. to Raiders had 117 yards rushing yesterday. Now, I know this is not a ground-and-pound type of team, You've got Josh Jacobs, you've got Kenyon Drake, but you know this isn't the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry. All right, They're a pass-first type of team. And Carr had 286 yards passing yesterday through the air. And the Raiders had good balance. But the bottom line is, inside the red zone, they were downright awful yesterday. That was the difference of the game. Outgained the Giants. Like I said, 403-245. Daniel Jones was singing... Some Daniel Jones praise last week because how well he played against the Chiefs. But more importantly, the reason why the Giants played so well against the Chiefs last week was because of their defense. And they really bottled up Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. And they did that again this week to the Raiders. So kudos to the Giants defensively. You can say what you want, that this isn't a very good defensive football team, but the bottom line is the Giants scheme well on the defensive side of the ball. They did it to Kansas City. They did it to Carolina a couple weeks ago where they blasted them 25-3, to and they played Kansas City well, should have won that game, and then they beat the Raiders. And the Giants really haven't been very good at home at all this year. And Daniel Jones wasn't great. I mean, think about this. Daniel Jones completed 15 of 20 passes, but only for 110 yards. That was it. When was the last time you heard of a quarterback winning a game with only 110 yards? He had one touchdown pass, but more importantly, he had no interceptions for the Giants yesterday. The Giants are an improving team, but this is still a game where the Raiders should have won. 
No excuses whatsoever. All right? Carr, 30 for 46. Throwing for 296. One touchdown, two interceptions. But the problem with Derek Carr yesterday was the decision-making. That was a problem. Here's Derek Carr talking about putting the blame on himself. We moved the heck out of the ball. You know, we had things that we wanted. Um, and uh, we just can't turn the ball. can't turn the ball over. Um, you know, can't throw interceptions. Uh, the strip at the end, I didn't see the guy. I was throwing the ball to Darren in the end zone. Um, I didn't see him. But you can't turn the ball over. That's why we lost the game. I mean, we come out and we're, we fight at the end. We get a touchdown. We get, you know, we win the game. We're talking about different stuff, you know, and not certain emotions and all that kind of stuff. Um, at the end of the day, we're football players, so we play football, you know. Um, but uh, just can't turn it over. Honestly, at the end of the day, we just need to be better uh, as players. Coaches did a great job. Uh, all of those things, I got to be better. This one's on me. All right, Derek Carr putting the onus on himself. You, you love Derek Carr, and we always talk about this, for the type of guy that he is, that he'll address the media. He has no problem taking blame himself. and He's a fun guy to be around. He loves to talk and everything. But the bottom line is, this is the reason why the Raiders – haven't been successful. Sure, probably doesn't have the the weapons around him that he necessarily needs. You know, especially now that you know he lost the the speed of, of Henry Ruggs. But you know, he does make some mistakes at times, and in games when he probably shouldn't. We've seen all, we've seen the slow starts going back to the first two home games this year. You know, those those quick uh, you know interceptions that he threw in the first quarter, and uh, again. The decision-making in the fourth quarter was the problem yesterday. Here's Carr talking more about the distractions, um, you know, whether it was a factor in the loss or not. Uh, to be honest, like, focused on football. Um, it, it's weird, you know, and, and f- when you go to practice and you go to meetings and all those things, 24 hours sometimes feels like a week, you know. Um, you know, Wednesday practice and Thursday is such, such a heavy workload and such taxing mentally um, that, that honestly it feels like... Uh, a, a really a long time and so um, I thought mentally we were ready uh, myself I was ready to go I was excited just to play football you know and uh, um, I don't think that emotions or anything like that were uh, into it you know the um, what's it called the the second interception Zay ran a double move I tried to fit it in before the safety got there he got there that had nothing to do with emotion <laughs> you know that just that was a decision that I made and it, uh, it didn't work out oh yeah I mean if I wrote down the list of things that I could be thinking about before every game in my eight years um, you know it'd be a pretty good story you know um, but you know I, I that's just not the case you know when, when it's football like you said we're playing football Let's keep it to football um, because that's the reason we lost. We They played better than us. I turned the ball over, um, and that's it. All right, uh, Derek Carr talking about that. You know, obviously, in the press conference after the game yesterday, everyone wanted to talk about, okay, what were the emotions like? Uh, the situation with Ruggs uh, leading into it. Uh, Derek Carr addressed that about missing Henry Ruggs on the field and off the field, certain uh, the way people play certain coverages and things like that, you know, um, you know. But that's whether he's in the game or he's not in the game, you know. And so I've seen that uh, with that kind of speed. Obviously, you know, it's just you have to do different things. Um, but uh, it wasn't anything like out of the blue or anything crazy or anything like that. But um, I, I miss him. I love him. But you know, like when we went out there today, we 
you know, we still almost threw for 300, almost ran. We ran the ball efficiently with explosives and stuff like that. We just turned the ball over. All right, for Raider fans, it was very frustrating to watch this game, especially in the second half, with the mistakes that they made. Uh, here's Carr talking about the frustration level uh, of the team on the field. I'm an emotional player, you know. So any game, if I miss a pass, or you know, I'm going to be mad, or if I make a good throw, I'm going to yell at somebody. Not taunt, but you know, get excited. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, that, that's just how I play. Um, but. Emotionally, it wasn't like we were thinking about anything else. I was just, I'm, I was, I'm so into the game and the game plan and all that kind of stuff. My mind can't be anywhere else. All right, there is Derek Carr talking about the frustration level that the team had, that he had a little bit, and again, more frustrated about you know what he did himself instead of what led up to the week. All right, now. The, the team obviously has to move on from this loss and not have a carryover effect because they got the Kansas City Chiefs at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday night football. Here's Derek Carr talking about that and looking ahead. Yeah, I just keep going. You know, you know me. I'm going to keep going. I, I didn't prepare any differently. Um, you know, I, I try and be a model of consistency, not for anybody else, but so I can tell my kids how the right way to do it, you know. And so, you know, you go out and almost complete them all, and it's like keep it up. And then you go out there and you have – rough day turning the ball over it's I'm not going to change you know I'm going to try and learn from those mistakes not have to force it with six minutes left and things like that um, but I, I have a good process and our coaches have a good process but um, it just comes down to what we believe and it was it's all about the ball and that's why we lost please just talk about me turning the ball over you know the Raiders are, are were happy to leave New Jersey yesterday even though they, they got the loss, though, but just the questions. And, you know, the Raiders are off, you know, today and tomorrow. They're going to come back Wednesday. Obviously, there are going to be some more of those questions from the media about, you know, last week and especially in the news today that Damon Arnett is gone as well, too. But that's what every one of these players wants to do is to move on from this and talk about football. You got a game where you should have won yesterday. You could have been six and two. Now you're five and three. Now you got the Kansas City Chiefs coming in. The game has been circling the calendar for a long, long time. You've got to be ready to play the Kansas City Chiefs. And again, no excuses here. Going back to last year here at Allegiant Stadium, the Raiders should have won that game. Probably outplayed the Chiefs for probably 50, 53, 54 minutes of that game last year. So that's where the, their focus needs to be, and that's what they want. They don't want to hear about this past week. They don't want to hear about this Giants loss. They don't want to hear about you know having to play without Ruggs and, and, and Arnett. Uh, this team needs to focus on football. But, but kudos for the Raiders, including their head coach, uh, Rich Passaccia, for addressing this because they know they have to address these situations, especially considering the team coming off the bye week and considering the Henry Ruggs situation everything took place. Here is interim head coach Rich, Rich Passaccia talking about playing without Ruggs yesterday. Yeah, I, I don't think that's part of it. You know, we had, the, we had a big explosive with Waller down there, and then we had the other one late that we ended up getting a 15-yard penalty on for going down there to um, – push the pocket a little bit at the end, you know, push the run. But even on defense, some of the explosives that we ended up doing a good job there, we had a 15-yard penalty, the hand in the head, and um, I think we had another one late, you know, two of those on, on uh, Hobbs. So they eliminated some of the explosives that we actually did have by some of the uncharacteristic penalties. We haven't had those in the last two weeks. All right, and the explosive plays were not there, and you expect to get that. You know, when you had rugs, and you say, okay, who was going to be that guy? It was going to be Zay Jones, right? Zay Jones. But he really didn't step up. You know, he, he, he had uh, like three or four targets where, you know, he, he didn't come through. And he's a young player. 
So the explosive plays, definitely not there yesterday. Overall, the Raiders had a lot of lack of execution. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, you answered the question. I think we certainly we didn't execute the way we have been. Um, I thought we had a really good week of practice, as we talked about during the week. We just we were off a little bit on some of those uh, throws, and, and um, we just didn't execute the way we have been. All right, here's Rich Passaccia also talking about Derek Carr not having one of his best games yesterday. I think last time we played, you made mention, you know, he's 31 34, and, and uh, I don't know what the exact stat is right here, but, uh, you know, again, I know there's some plays out there he'd love to have back, but I, I didn't feel like it was maybe off's the word or, um, you know, certain throws go certain ways, and sometimes they're a little high or low, or a lot of guys make those catches. So, again, we just didn't execute on either end. All right, and Basaccia did address the emotional factor of uh, of the Raiders and what this uh, you know what this week was all about you know for them coming up here. You saw it on the field. We we didn't see there any being any issues with their emotions or any issues with their resilience or any issues with their effort or any issues with their attitude or their poise or the way in which they represented um, their team today. Uh, I thought that was all good. All right, head coach Rich Passaccia. And finally, talking about coming off that bye week, uh, a very emotional week, a lot of you know stuff that, that happened on the side. Like I said, we, again, talking about rugs, talking about the Arnett situation. Here are his thoughts about the entire week. I thought we came off the bye, and we went through some extenuating circumstances on Monday, but they came back Wednesday to practice, um, and they practiced extremely hard through a full pad of practice. thought it got better as the week went on. I'm really excited about the way Friday's practice ended. We came up here, we had... No issues in meetings, and uh, again, I, I thought they represented them, themselves and their team really well out there today with their effort. We've all been emotionally impacted by what happened in that particular situation, but again, as the week went on, I feel like the men that are in that locker room right now um, collectively and individually got themselves to the point where what they do best is play football, and I thought they came here today and they played football, and they played it well, and again, we just didn't execute to the point of where we have been the last two weeks or in a place that we would like to. And um, certainly we'll get back on a plane and address it tomorrow. All right. In hearing that, in watching the game, I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, these guys are professional athletes. And, again, they just they got outplayed yesterday. They shot themselves in the foot. They made some mistakes, especially in the second half. But, you know, they went through a trying week. No question about it. But did that really have an effect on the outcome? Probably not. Here's tight end Darren Waller talking about how he handled this rough week and it and asked if it had any effect on the overall outcome for the loss to the Giants yesterday. No, I mean, I feel like we did a great job of locking in at practice this week. Uh, I just feel like it was things that happened in the game that, that made the difference. I don't think it had anything to do with the practice or the preparation. Uh, you know, guys reacted to it a lot of different ways, but I didn't see anything in practice that had me worry going into the game. It was uh, turnovers. Uh, you know, there are a couple shots, at least with me, that down in the red zone. That's like, you know, we gotta, we gotta make those count. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, everybody had a, a play in their phase, but you know, it's, it's plays that need to be made that didn't get made by us. All right, Darren Waller talking a little bit more about uh, the emotional factor of playing without Henry Ruggs and everything they went through this week. I mean, I'm sure it's different on a lot of individual bases, you know. Um, it was a lot of emotional weight on me, but um, I felt like I did a good job of coming to this game ready to play. Um, you know, different guys may have reacted individually, but I feel like with the practice that we had this week, I feel like guys were f- focused on the game and came in with a, with a solid mindset. All right. 
Uh, Waller's thoughts on the frustration on the field and the lack of execution that was noticeable yesterday. I mean, there's, there's probably frustration for sure, but I don't think it was frustration to the point of finger-pointing or, or blaming anybody or people just checking out. It was just natural frustration of, you know, this is we got to make these plays if we want to continue to go where we want to go. So um, I feel like morale was still good, but uh, definitely frustrating. All right, and finally from Darren Waller, describing the past few weeks, starting with John Gruden being let go, and then, of course, the Henry Ruggs situation this week. What was this past week for Darren Waller? Uh, yeah, I mean, personally, it's definitely blown me back a bit, you know, because Coach Gruden was somebody that risked, uh, you know, a chance of bringing me in uh, to give me a chance to play football again. And then Henry is somebody that everybody liked, not just because he was, you know, the fastest person you've ever seen run on the field, but, you know, he was a good person and a respectful person, and somebody that you like to be around on a daily basis. So it is shocking. You know, it does hurt a little bit, but, um, you know, all we can do is the best we can to move forward and focus on football. Um, nobody asked for this, but at the same time, you know, as far as training and resilience and adversity, I feel like we're getting the best practice and training you could possibly get in that. So we just got to keep moving forward. All right. The Raiders made two moves today. Okay. They released Damon Arnett, first round pick in 2020 after video surfaced this past weekend of Arnett making death threats while brandishing uh, a gun. Um, remember, he had the accident last year that we talked about in front of the Raiders facility. Uh, just not a good sign. So today, Mike Mayock uh, made the move, made the decision to release Damon Arnett. Here is Mike Mayock talking earlier about why he released Damon Arnett. Um, today, today we waived Damon Arnett. Um, very painful decision. We spent significant time, effort, and resources trying to help him in all facets of his life. There have been a series of bad decisions over the last year or so, but we can't stand, we cannot stand for the video of Damon with a gun threatening to take a life. The content was unacceptable. Contrary to our values, and our owner, Mark Davis, has been very clear and very consistent that this is not how we will conduct ourselves in this community. The bottom line the Raiders will not tolerate this type of behavior. On a personal note, I've talked to Damon, his dad, a couple others in his life. From my perspective, he's a very talented young man with a good heart. If he cleans up his life, I know he can make a living in the NFL. But not now with the Raiders. All right, Mike Mayock talking about releasing Damon Arnett. And if anyone has seen the video of him carrying this firearm, it's just not a gun. I mean, it looks like a machine gun or something. It looks like something out of a movie. But again, this is who he is. All right, Damon Arnett had problems when he was Ohio State. Mike Mayock was aware of this. And he admits that, you know, they missed on this guy. They missed on him. It was very controversial taking this guy that high. Just... The Raiders want high-character guys, and you can say what you want. You know, last week we had to answer all these questions about, hey, being in Las Vegas, is it, is it too big for these guys you know, to, to come out of college and, and to play in Las Vegas where it's a 24-7 town, all that sort of thing? Well, Damon Arnett, I, I, I don't know if he would be successful in life wherever he went, but this is a guy that Mike Mayon admittedly missed on, plain and simple. This guy's a bonehead. Henry Ruggs, Josh Jacobs have made bonehead decisions, mistakes, 
But Arnett, this is ridiculous. You're going and you're arguing with a valet person. You are basically leaving the scene of a crime uh, when you, 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 you drive into your training facility at 65 miles per hour. And then you have somebody else try to ha- handle your, your business for you, a friend. Uh, just nonsense. And then brandishing a weapon. And then there's a video out there with it. Insane. Insane. You got to cut loose. And if you're Mark Davis, poor Mark Davis, having to deal with these goofballs and these idiotic decisions, and then one after another, but, again, questionable draft picks, questionable decisions. And Mike Mayock, a lot of people are thinking, well, is his job on the line here? It could be. It could be. And I know Mark Davis likes Mike Mayock, but the bottom line is he loved John Gruden as well, too. And you got to do what you got to do. So we'll see how the rest of this plays out. So Mayock also made another move today. Aside from releasing Damon Arnett, good riddance, they signed Deshaun Jackson today. Now, Jackson has traveled around the league, as you know, uh, waved by the Rams last week. Just basically, it was nothing anything that Deshaun Jackson did. Just Deshaun Jackson actually, when he played, was pretty darn good. I mean, he had a big reception for a near touchdown last week in the Rams' victory, but he's got a crowded wide receiving room over there in, in Los Angeles with the Rams. So Deshaun Jackson signed a contract today. He was in the building, signed his contract, trying on helmets. He's happy to be a member of the Silver and Black. As you know, Deshaun Jackson's a Bay Area guy. He went to Cal. He's always loved the Raiders. Well, Deshaun Jackson, uh, he's had some problems, as we know off the field as well. Deshaun Jackson is a guy that likes to run his mouth. How is he going to fit in with this team? But this is another lease on life for him. I mean, his playing days are coming down to to an end here as well. Maybe he has one or two seasons left. But if he's healthy, he could be that deep threat the Raiders want. People talked about Odell Beckham Jr. We said stop that nonsense last week. Deshaun Jackson, possibly he's a better uh, alternative than OBJ. No doubt about that. But you're hoping maybe Zay Jones could be your speedster. He could be the burner. He could be the go-route guy. He could maybe be that, that guy that you can get on crossing routes. But you know what? He didn't play well yesterday against the Giants. So now you got to bring in Deshaun Jackson and see what he's got. So it'll be interesting. He's a big-time name, a former pro bowler. The guy can play. But uh, is he going to be able to be patient enough? Because we, as we've seen with a lot of wide receivers, it is the diva position. We know that Deshaun Jackson has been very, very vocal with coaches and quarterbacks if he's not getting the ball enough. Well, Deshaun Jackson, if he can get in tune with the Raiders system, we'll see if he'll be a force. And we expect him to play Sunday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. So he's here. He's in town. He's signed. He's ready to go. But a big day for the Raiders today just uh, with – Again, releasing Damon Arnett, signing Deshaun Jackson, and then talking about the loss that occurred yesterday. A game they should have won. They, you could make the argument they outplayed the Giants, they outgained the Giants, but they succumb and they lose by seven to the New York Giants because of three bad turnovers yesterday in the second half of that game. All right, when we come back, we turn our attention to what we saw Saturday night at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Canelo Alvarez put on quite a show again. Marquise Johns is going to join me for Big Fight Weekend. We'll discuss Canelo Alvarez being the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. This is boxing referee Kenny Bayless, and what I say you must obey. So be sure to catch up 
with the broadcast at tcmartinshow.com. Vicious shot, shots to the body, and the plan is not the same. We just got hurt. Canelo Alvarez pummeling Caleb, Caleb Plant in that 11th round. Two knockdowns, which you just heard in a 20-second span. And Canelo becomes the first undisputed super middleweight champion of the world and unifying the division and having now all four major championship belts in the super middleweight division. All right. Bottom line is Canelo Alvarez dominated this fight much the way we kind of handicapped it all last week. He hurt Plant with body shots. Uh, left hook was downright lethal. The jab he was getting off first the majority of the time. Uh, had some punishing overhand rights. Uh, the variety of shots that Canelo was uh, dishing out to Caleb Plant was phenomenal. Uh, 53 of his 117 shots that he landed were to the body. Just vicious body punching that we see with Canelo time and time again. Caleb Plant, not ready for any of that. And how about this percentage? Canelo Alvarez landed 41% of his body shots. That's right. So a fantastic, typical Canelo Alvarez performance. All right, so we were there. It was fantastic. Uh, 16,586 sellout crowd at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. And let's bring in uh, my good friend Marquise Johns, who is the editor-in-chief of Big Fight Weekend. And Marquise joins us every now and then. Actually, last time we had Marquise on, he was here in town uh, you know, covering the fight and uh, the Cosmopolitan. Marquise, what's going on, brother? Pretty good, TC. Just coming up a weekend where Canelo Alvarez spent 11 rounds pretty much being a secret assassin against Caleb Plant. What a performance by that guy, seriously. Yeah, well, you know, Marquise, it was the t- typical clinic put on by Canelo Alvarez, a schooling, as I like to call it. And, you know, basically these guys are at totally different levels. And, you know, we talked about this last week where, I mean, Canelo is Canelo and Caleb Plant has never been in the ring with anyone that has the arsenal or the experience that Canelo Alvarez has. And it showed. And we knew there was just a matter of time before Canelo disposed of him and he won the fight, uh, you know, rather handily. Absolutely, see, And the one thing I thought that was very interesting from Plant's standpoint just in the fight was the fact that he was throwing punches off the ropes, but he was only throwing, and you, were, and you were there obviously Saturday, he was only throwing, especially in the middle rounds, one punch at a time. That's not going to beat anybody, let alone Canelo. And that was just the one thing I thought that was really alarming more than anything else. But part of that may have been because of the fact that uh, he couldn't hit Canelo as well. But it, 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 was, just, it was definitely levels on Saturday. And Jeez, uh, at, at this point, TC, I'm really intrigued that, uh, where does Canelo go from here? Because anyone facing Canelo at, at this juncture uh, is automatically the B side at this point, and it's going to be that way for a long time. Long time at this point as well. 
And then the thing with Canelo is, and we talk about this all the time, is that you know he's cleaned up the divisions. He's cleaned up every division he's been at, whether it's 154, going up to 160, 168, 175, you know, and having a couple fights at 175. And then we took on Kovalev, who had plenty of punching power. I mean, it's just one of these things where you know Canelo has faced everybody he could possibly face. He hasn't ducked anybody, even though he's you know changed uh, promotional companies a couple different times here. He was kind of locked into this that DAZN deal, which was just a horrific, uh, horrendous you know deal for DAZN, having to pay Canelo all, all the all the money that they had to pay him. And uh, you know now he's willing to take on all of Al Heyman's guys and dispose those guys, but just you know to. To bring in a guy like Caleb Plant, I mean, really, it was no different than some of the other Ham and Eggers that he's fought before. But it's not like there's anybody else that could really challenge him. And I know that we can get into the discussion about what's next about Charlo and Benavidez. But, you know, for me, Marquise, it, it doesn't matter. Those guys are, are better fighters than Caleb Plant. But at the, at the end, I think the result will be the same. For, for Canelo Alvarez, because he's a generational fighter. He's a guy that, that we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, for, for decades and decades to come. Uh, you know, he's that historic kind of fighter. And I do not see this guy losing another fight in his professional career. At this point, TC, I don't see it uh, pretty much with the opponents of line, being lined up or even named lined up next at, at all either. You know what, TC, with Canelo, uh, at this point, he's beat the video game, right? Yep. So at this point, he's playing it again uh, for the side quest to see what keys he left out, you know, what hidden gems or items at this point. But for all intents and purposes, TC, there is no one else out there. I don't. You can line them up. You can name them. I've been hearing they they keep throwing Triple G's name out there. There better be about one seventy five. That I heard Beevil. Name them. It doesn't matter. They're not. They're not beating Canelo at this point in juncture. And, and the bigger thing I always wonder at this point because as you mentioned, Canelo is a generational guy. And the question now becomes uh, at this point, where do you put? T, uh, Canelo TC in terms of Mexican all-timers now as, as opposed to who, who's he fighting next. Eventually, it, it will be number one overall. And you can make the argument about uh, a bit better than Julio Cesar Chavez who probably you know is, uh, is at the top. You know, Barrera mm-hmm. and, you know, Marquez, all of those guys. But no, you know why, Marquise? Because Canelo has done it at a high level and right now he has one loss on his ledger, and that's it. And Chavez didn't even have that. You know, he he had he had several losses, especially you know later on in his career, and probably hung on too mm-hmm. long. But yeah, I will go Canelo, and because I don't, I see him really having the only loss when he's when he's going to retire. It probably will be against Mayweather, and it's too bad because he fought Mayweather when he was twenty three years old, and Mayweather kind of handpicked him at that point in time. I think you'll agree with me if Mayweather would have fought Canelo, you know, two three years after that. It would have been a different scenario, and you know Floyd probably wouldn't have elected to fight him. Same thing he did with Pacquiao. He wanted to wait, 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 uh, you know, for Pacquiao, and we finally got that fight. But you know, for Canelo Alvarez, think about this, man. The last sixteen fights, he's unbeaten, unbeaten. Plain and simple. He had the one draw in there against Golovkin, and that's questionable. Some people want to think, well, Golovkin won the fight. I thought that Canelo won the fight, but be it a draw, that's fine. And he definitely took care of business with Triple G. When they, when they fought again to to dispel a, another fight there, so yeah, uh, for for me, number one of, of of all time as far as you know Mexican fighters, it's Canelo Alvarez, and even if he probably takes another loss before he retires, I still say Canelo over Julio Cesar Chavez or any of the other guys we we're talking about. 
at this point, I think you have to at this point, only because of the resume. And the one thing with Canelo that you can save as opposed to a Chavez or somebody else where Canelo's fighting who's in front of him. That's the one thing that you, get, you couldn't say about Chavez when he was fighting random guys. At one point, people were saying he was fighting cab drivers. Probably he was. Uh, this is totally different. And uh, the one thing with Canelo that I do like, T.C., more than anything else, especially with this performance also, is that he showed something different. He was throwing left hooks to the body against Plant, which we didn't see against uh, Callum Smith because that was the one comparable that people were throwing at people in terms of a, a pre-fight uh, a, a analysis in terms of uh, what's the best matchup style for it. People were saying like uh, Canelo would be like uh, would, would beat Plant uh, similar way he beat, beat Billy Joe Saunders, and in a way with that first knockdown, TC he did. And, and I, I mean, at this point, there really isn't anybody else out for this man, and that's what makes it so great. And that's that's why everyone just wants to see him fight more and more often than anything else. And that's why he probably is the most active fighter at, at, on the planet at this point. Yep, absolutely. And you know, going back to the body shots here, here's what I've always loved about Canelo is that. He has a game plan for every fighter, and he does not fight every guy the same way. And with Plant, he's a taller guy, and he's susceptible to body shots. And he's never felt those type of uh, crushing blows from anybody else. And Canelo made it a point to just rip him to the body. The left hook was phenomenal. And then when he softened him up with that, here comes the overhand rights. But then, again, like I said at the beginning, he really set the tone by doubling up the jab early on and and just doing whatever he wanted to do. Whatever was available that he saw there, he took care of it, whether it's it, it's it's uh, it's ripping the hook or coming with the overhand right or putting those those flurries and combinations together. I mean, it was it was a thing of beauty, like we're accustomed to seeing with Canelo Alvarez. He put on a boxing clinic against a guy that just could not match up with him whatsoever. Not at all, and for, for and it's interesting also TC as well, considering what Plant tried to do in this fight, uh, he he actually had some success early on. Uh, he just I don't know what his game plan was after it. As he as the old cliche goes, TC, uh, people have a plan so you get hit in the face or hit in the mouth, as as the great Mike Tyson once quoted, and I think that's kind of what happened here because the one thing that Plant was doing, even though he was being backed into the ropes pretty much the entire fight, he was trying to pull his jab out. It wasn't the best looking jab in the world on television. You were there, so. I I'm guessing it didn't look any better uh, visually. But the one thing that I thought was really interesting that Plant really did try to do was try to use his size. It just wasn't good enough for Canelo. Yeah, uh, agreed. And the thing is, with, uh, with Plant, he was game. And I'll give him credit for that. I mean, he was game. Yeah. He came forward, especially earlier on. But then when he started you know, feeling some of those body shots, then he backed off. And you saw that his pace really slowed down from round five on. But I will give Caleb Plant yeah. credit because, again, he didn't, he didn't run. He stood toe-to-toe. And, again, really probably not the best plan of attack to go against Canelo Alvarez. But he was, he was a game fighter. And, you know, Marquise, when we have such a, a clinic like this with Canelo and it becomes a one-sided fight, you know, we, we praise Canelo all we want, uh, and we have to find other aspects really to kind of talk about here. And we say that Plant was game, Canelo was fantastic, but if we got to pick something apart here, I got to pick apart some of the judges' scorecards here. Actually, just specifically one, because I think Steve Weisfeld had it perfectly. He scored it just like I did, 98-92. I mean, Canelo Alvarez won just about every one of those rounds. And you can give Caleb Plant round one, which is a toss-up. It's not like, you know, Plant came out aggressive, and Canelo, like he always does, feels out his opponent. So it's, it's kind of normal for Canelo to maybe give up an early round like that. So that's fine. And Canelo took round nine off. 
And he did kind of a little bit of rope-a-dope and allowed Plant to score some shots. Nothing really phased Canelo, but rounds one and nine, and that was it. If you look at uh, uh, Patricia Jar- uh, Morse-Jarman's scorecard here, I don't know what fight she was watching because she had a 96-94 where she gave uh, Caleb Plant winnings rounds four and ten, and no way in the world did Caleb Plant win, uh, win those rounds. And the other judges, like I said, had it. You know, pretty pretty close to where it should be. Ninety eight, ninety two for Steve Weisfield and Dave Moretti had it ninety seven, ninety three. But Patricia Morse Jarman at ninety six, ninety four. Here we go again. But, but, typical bad scorecards, TC. And it's one of those things, especially with hers, where I, I kind of wonder if she was even paying attention to the same fight that everyone else was watching. Especially if she gave uh, Plant rounds 4 and 10, which are rounds, if I remember specifically, uh, rounds he was caught flushing uh, completely. So yeah. it makes you wonder what fight she was really watching. <laughs> and, and in fact, TC, the only round I can really give Plant, without a doubt, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the ninth, the first, I mean, it's whatever. Maybe the second where he caught Canelo clean with that one shot that, that, that looked pretty good on top. Television, but realistically, that was yeah. the end of Caleb Plant's highlight reel at this. Outside of that, there's a conversation that they had in the ring in, in round nine where Canelo lulled him to sleep, saying, "Hey, you're pretty good," and then proceeded to knock him out two rounds later. But outside of that, that's really about it for the Caleb Plant highlight reel for this fight. Yeah, I totally agree. Again, you could even make the argument that it could have been a shutout for Canelo Alvarez. All right, Marquise Johns joins us, editor of Big Fight Weekend, talking about Canelo Alvarez's domination over Caleb Plant. Had the 11th round knockout, uh, two knockdowns within a 20-second span. Uh, Marquise, for you, as you're watching this fight unfold, um, we talked about a lot of uh, Canelo Alvarez's highlights, but uh, what stood out for you? Did anything surprise you at this fight, either that the the lack of production by Caleb Plant or maybe Canelo doing something that you were a little bit surprised about? For me, uh, honestly, TC, it was more of the attack that Plant used in this fight because I was trying to figure out what he was going for. He had the idea early, like staying on the outside. Uh, Once Canelo started walking him down, I think midway through the first round, I realized that he kind of abandoned it a little bit, and I was kind of Kind of confused about that, where he had to, or with Plant, he, I'm surprised he didn't use his size more. Kind of like like he used it at the first press conference that started all of this. I'm really surprised he didn't do more of that in this fight than anything else. He he started with it and then he all but abandoned it. It kind of reminded me the same way uh, Deontay Wilder abandoned the jab in the in the third Fury fight, where it was just like non-existent. But other than that, no, this this fight pretty much played out just like we all expected. The one thing I thought was really interesting was how fast Canelo ended the fight in that, with the two knockdowts in the 20-second span. It reminded me a lot of the way he took the way he took out Saunders and Kovalev kind of in a combined fashion in a way because he hit Kovalev with that, that one cross, and that was it. And then we hit Billy Joe Saunders in his eye back in May. That was the end of that as well. It was just the way that these just these fights just abruptly ended from, from the hands of Canelo is just more impressive than anything else. Absolutely. All right, Marquis. We've got to look ahead to a big welterweight fight, one that will definitely be much more competitive than what we saw. But here at uh, Las Vegas at the Mandalay Bay Michelob Ultra Arena, it's going to be Terrence Crawford and Showtime Sean Porter for the uh, welterweight championship of the world. Looking forward to this fight. Let's uh, get some early thoughts on this from you. Uh, looking forward to seeing what uh, approach Sean Porter takes in this fight. The one thing that uh, is well known by Terrence Crawford, and we, uh, we've seen it in the, even, in, even in the last fight he had against Kell Brook, is the fact that he, he starts off pretty slow, like most uh, great pound-for-pound uh, pound greats currently in boxing, where he takes like, the first two rounds off, per se. And it'll be interesting to see if Sean Porter, who's not known as a fast starter, uh, picks up a fast start in this fight. I agree. 
I agree. And, you know, conventional wisdom says, you know, Sean, with that bulldog mentality and that style could force, you know, the action early on and probably steal a couple of these early rounds, like you said, because Crawford usually will just hang back. He'll paw away with the jab. He'll he'll try to really figure out what his opponent's going to do, conserve that energy for the middle to late rounds. And and you're right. It'll be interesting to see what Sean uh, does, because we've seen Sean actually alter his game plan from fight to fight as well, too. I mean, we've seen fights where He's kind of hung back a little bit and, and wasn't the, the pure aggressor. We saw him do that against Ugas, uh, you know, if you remember that, where he became more yeah. of a boxer. And, uh, you know, he can you know, you know, do it all. But Sean is at his best, obviously, when he wants to get inside the phone booth and he wants to make it a brawl. And I thought, you know, the way he fought Earl Spence uh, was tactically, you know, perfect. Heck, if Sean, you know, stay, you know stays up in that round number 10, we, that result could have been totally different as well, too. I mean, he fought Spence so well. And then, of, of course, you know, coming off Sean's last fight as well, too, where he was fantastic all the way around, just, you know, uh, you know pummeling his, uh, his opponent. But uh, I'm with you, man. I'm, I can hardly wait for this fight. It's going to be a tactical fight. We're going to see, uh, uh, you know, a point in time, probably once we get to the middle to late rounds, where it's going to be an all-out war. That's what I think so, too, CC. And the one thing with, with Crawford that I'm looking forward to seeing is that if, if he still has that same uh, mean streak that he has that, that he had in his previous fights, the one we had against Kowalowskis and the one he had against Kell Brook, that, that's going to be real interesting to see what on Crawford's end of it. And, and to piggyback your point with Porter, the one thing he did in his last fight against uh, in the bubble against uh, Sebastian Formella that I really liked a lot of, even though he didn't knock him down, he hit... He hit Formella TC probably with about 4,000 punches. Right. Uh, granted, it, 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 it's credit to Formella for staying upright, but the average human being doesn't take that many punches. So I'm, I don't think he's going to be able to do all of that against Crawford, but it did look great against him nonetheless. You know, you were with me. Uh, you, I think we were standing next to each other when we were watching the press conference at the MGM with yeah. Crawford and Porter. And if to your point of what is Terrence Crawford going to going to do and what's his attitude going to be like we remember that these guys were once close friends and i remember you know talking to Sean way back when where he goes hey i'm not i'm not going to fight Terrence i'm not going to fight him and then all of a sudden you know that changed and if we see the attitude that Crawford brought to that press conference that day that wasn't just for show cuz Crawford is not one of these showy type of guys I and mean, he's usually pretty yeah. stoic he keeps to himself but when you kind of irritate him then in most opponents really haven't tried to irritate him you know and Sean's not doing it but Crawford does have a little chip on his shoulder here and if he comes with that attitude then maybe we see Crawford pick up the pace a little bit earlier on in this fight and that may actually be changed change the narrative in terms of what Crawford does in the ring. But no, back at that press conference, the one thing I thought that was really interesting besides the camps is jaw-jacking at each other because that's what the, what camps do, was the fact that Crawford, as you mentioned, T.C., really is a stoic guy, kind of kept to himself. I mean, he's gotten better lately in interviews talking about things, but more often than not, like before at the last, before this pandemic, T.C., as you will know, talking to Terrence Crawford was kind of like talking to the Invisible Man, where you'd get maybe two words out of this guy, and then you'd just stare at you uh, angrily for about 15 minutes. So he's changed a a lot of that going on, and I'm glad. And I wonder if that's going to translate when he, if, if, if he picks the pace up against Porter uh, back on the 20th. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know which side the crowd is on here as well too, because Sean obviously is such a lovable guy here, and especially you know fighting in Las Vegas for the first time in a long time for him. That's going to be great. So it wouldn't surprise me if Porter has a majority of this crowd behind him, uh, you know, coming up here at the Michelob Ultra Arena here in a couple of weeks. That'll be interesting as well too, because uh, Crawford uh, knows the travel as well with, with fans. But yep. no, it, it, yep. Sean Porter's the hometown guy, so no, that makes sense too. And I, I wonder with that as well, uh, how many folks are going to be at this thing, just in terms of matchups? Because I do, I do think this fight really is 
to close out the year, especially in the uh, statewide, that's one of the bigger ones. Yep, looking forward to it. Marquise Johns, tell the people where they can find your stuff, man. Big Fight Weekend. Absolutely, TC. You can find my stuff at BigFightWeekend.com. Uh, your source for all uh, shenanigans, boxing news, past, present, future, a bunch of historical pieces. Keep an eye on everything going on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Weeksauce Radio. Keep up the news as well. Any random thing boxing news related, anything coming up. Uh, looking forward to seeing what's going on this weekend. Uh, Joseph Parker and Tesoro are fighting again. Why, I don't know, but they're doing it again. So I'll keep up with that and amongst everything else. All right, brother. I appreciate the time as always, man. We'll look forward to talking with you real soon. Oh, thanks, Marquise. There he is, Marquise Johns. Big fight weekend. Weak Sauce Radio. There he is. That's his handle. And you're bringing me what? This is not Earth, Wind, and Fire. You got a mariachi version. So you got a little Canelo, a little funk going. Hey, Canelo had his guy. He was, oh, he was, what a ring entrance. I know you probably saw it because I posted it when I was there, but that was a nice little intro. That's what you should have had going out here. Okay. Oh, this is the walkout. There you go. I got you. All right, when we come back, Kevin Kruger's going to join us. He knows a thing or two about music, knows a thing or two about basketball as well, too. He gets ready for his opening night debut Wednesday, UNLV basketball at the Thomas and Mack Center. we got that, Matt Holt, and more next hour. Takes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing up defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us, hour number two. All right, Matt Holt will join us a little bit later this hour talking about NFL week number nine. And then we got Monday Night Football tonight. That's right, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Chicago Bears. We'll uh, dive into that, handicap that for you as well, too. And, of course, last hour, talking about Canelo Alvarez's dominating performance over Caleb Plant at the MGM Grand. What a night that was. And now we got to get ready for some basketball. That's right. We turn the page. Thomas and Max Center Wednesday night. The UNLV running Rebels in action against Gardner-Webb. So looking forward to that. And uh, really looking forward to Kevin Kruger taking the floor as a head coach for the running Rebels for the very first time. And uh, it's great to, to see Kevin back here at UNLV and uh, – uh, leading this program, and he joins us now. And the last time we had him on, uh, we were talking music. So uh, we'll probably dive into that a little bit as well today. But uh, Kevin Kruger, get ready for Wednesday night's opener. What's going on, my man? Oh, not too much. As you said, just getting ready for Wednesday. All right, man. So let's talk about the excitement level for you. I mean, it's been a a big last six, seven months uh, for you being named you know, back in the spring as head coach of UNLV, been out recruiting, and uh, now it's, it's showtime, my friend. How excited are you? Uh, it's been a really exciting. Uh, I think uh, you know, it, it came pretty quickly. It seems like just yesterday it was March, and we were figuring out roster and staff, and, and then now here we are waking up uh, tomorrow, the day before a game. And, um, but uh, a lot of excitement. Uh, I'd be lying if I said i wasn't a little nervous but uh it's a good kind of nervous that's just kind of excited for 
Wednesday night to get here. And I was going to ask you about that, Kevin, about you know having a little nerves. I and mean, like you said, I mean, I appreciate your honesty and everything, but how can you not be nervous? And what would be the, the, the one or two factors or elements uh, for the nervousness? Well, I think just going from, you know, when you're a player, you, the anxiety is just to, to get to the game, but you're in control. And I think uh, the nerves are a little bit the more I think about you know, you're, you're you're not out there running around passing and shooting yourself. You're just trying to to help the guys that are out there. And uh, I think uh, just want to make sure that we put them in the right spots and that we give them the right advice and the right game plan. And you know, the first time doing it from that chair is just uh, anytime you do the first something for the first time. There's there's nerves associated with it. As we know, you've been a long time assistant, uh, not just with your dad, you know, at Oklahoma, but you know, other other stops as well too. What has been the biggest you know transition for you, or the differences from you know taking over a program, especially here at UNLV, compared to you know what you've been doing over the, you know the last decade or so, being an assistant coach? I think the biggest difference is you just kind of you oversee everything. So when you, you know when you're an assistant, you have your responsibilities and your role and. Then when you're a head coach, you don't you're involved in all of it, but you don't have the same level of uh, interaction in each role or each uh, responsibility. But then at the end of the day, you you kind of oversee them all. And but uh, that's something that I really haven't had to worry that much about. Just with Coach Hartman, uh, Coach Buckley, Coach Chappelle, you know Deshaun Henry here, we've we've been able to kind of help me and and do it you know, as a as a team and. And really trying to figure this thing out and how to get it going as a group. How much does your dad uh, stop by and either watch practice or you know what is what, uh, what has that been like uh, for you? Because I know, remember when you were named the head coach and then he was going to be moving back here. There were a lot of people that are saying, "Oh wow, you know, you know, Lon's going to be here and maybe kind of like be in an offsite assistant coach." And I remember when I talked to him, he goes, "No, no, I'm going to let Kevin do his thing." He goes, "Obviously, we're going to have conversations." But talk a little bit about uh, how that has worked since both of you guys have now moved back here. Well, I think that's pretty accurate. It's it stayed true. Um, he, as much as anything, he's enjoyed when he comes out here being a grandpa. And you know, a couple weeks ago, he came and stayed with me and my wife Allie, and while he was in town for a week. But uh, we didn't talk a ton of basketball. We did for a little bit, and we talked strategy. And, and And I really, I like to bounce things off of him that aren't even on the court related. You know what? You know this. Uh, you know this situation. That situation. What's well, how should I feel about that? What, is that something that's normal? You know, with his experience, not just at UNLV, but, you know, everywhere. I mean, multiple universities professionally or the NBA, it's kind of something that I think, you know, there's been times where I say, well, what about this? Should I? Should this bother me? And he'll say, no, don't worry about that. And there's other times where I'll say something. He'll be like, no, 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 you might want to pay a little more attention to that. And so it's not also, you know, in college, it's not all just court related. There's a lot of other things that go into it, but, just like a lot of people, you know, we welcome welcome him and others to practice. And uh, on days he's there, if he sees something, he points out. We'll discuss it. And other times, I'll ask him about how. Well, how can I? How can I do this? It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's flowing the right way. And he, he might give his input, but you know, he, he's a cognizant of the staff. So first and foremost, always go to the staff, get their opinion. They're the guys that are there every day, all day. So he, he recognizes that and. As much as anything, he just enjoys playing uh, with my daughter Cammy and being outside on the trampoline with her and, and just being a grandpa. 
Right. Kevin Kruger joins us, the head coach of UNLV, and get ready to hit the court at the Thomas and Mack Center, 7 o'clock against Gardner-Webb on Wednesday. Uh, speaking of, of your dad and Oklahoma and everything, and you know he's retired, uh, you do have what, one of his former players that uh, transferred uh, from Oklahoma as well, too, right? We do. Uh, Victor Walker came over from the University of Oklahoma. Coach Hartman, Carlin Hartman, came from Oklahoma. Will Saxon, our video coordinator slash recruiting coordinator came from Oklahoma. Um, and, and really, as much as anything, everybody that we're working with on staff, we've, we've known for a while. And there's a level of trust and familiarity there. So having just been gone two years from Oklahoma, uh, you know, there was a level of comfort with mm-hmm. those guys. And, and that's why it made sense for them to come over here to UNLV after my dad retired, uh, try to do things very similarly to the way he did them with, you know, making family functions or, or kids' sporting events and graduations and, and move-in days and all that. So uh, we're lucky that they decided to come join us. And, and But, yeah, Victor specifically, you know, awesome guy, fun to be around, enjoys competing, you know, worries more about the, the team than any personal accolades or stats. So, you know, he'll be fun, and I think the, the fans will really enjoy him. He plays hard. He's big and physical. And and I think that's uh, that's one of the things that Vegas people like about their their rebels when they're big, strong, and physical. And you know, you have been here for a couple of years as an assistant, uh, you know, under T.J. Otzelberger. But you were able to retain Bryce Hamilton, and Marvin Coleman. But you know, the majority of that team is is pretty much gone. It kind of take us back, you know, to the beginning here, Kevin, going back to I guess you know April and that sort of thing. When you know you got the job, um, were you looking to keep a majority of these guys, or was things just you know with the transfer portal the way it is these days that you you weren't going to to focus on keeping a lot of those guys? Yeah, I, I, we didn't beg anybody to come back. Um, that's kind of something that. I think with the transfer portal being the way it is, and this isn't a, a knock toward any anybody that was here and decided to leave or anybody that left another school and decided to go somewhere else, I think just having a group of people that want to be where they're at, it, it, it's just really important. Uh, the the way that the college basketball is right now, the transfer portal is going to be hot and heavy for, for years to come. I do think it will eventually swing back the other way, but I don't think it will here in the near future. And But then when you combine that with COVID, and I mean, I, I just don't know a lot of teams last year outside of, of course, the upper portion, you know, that made an NCAA tournament run or had a, had a storybook ending that can really look back at last year and say that was a fun experience, right? And, and that's, that's something that I think really weighed into not just here at UNLV but across the country and why the transfer numbers definitely, if they didn't, weren't higher they probably were right about that same average we've had the past few years but because a lot of and we had a younger team so them coming out here and seeing experiencing college basketball in a covid year i think at the end of the year it probably wasn't everything they had thought and hoped it would be and going back to the COVID year, I mean, people want to talk about no fans in the stands and that sort of thing. But really, from a coach's standpoint, the recruiting is totally different. I don't think a lot of people really get that. I mean, you're not doing these in-person visits for the most part, right? I mean, you're having to do Zooms and, and just look at tape like you normally would. But there, there really is a big missing piece. And, you know, when you recruit, I mean, you really need to have that one-on-one and that face-to-face, don't you? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we brought in everybody without meeting them personally. And 
But I thought ours was a little unique because the majority of guys we brought in, we had recruited in high school uh, while being at Oklahoma or being somewhere else. Uh, you know, Roy Sam, Donovan Williams from Texas, we had talked to them while I was an assistant at Oklahoma. And kind of just, I didn't know them really well, but at least I'd had conversations. And so there was a little bit of a, an underlying foundation towards a relationship that could maybe skip some of those early steps and you know and so i think that that played into it a little bit it wasn't the case with every single player but i think uh, we tried to do that as much as we possibly could but it was definitely weird i think we uh we definitely set a record for zooms and <laughs> and uh, if we I've, we've talked as a staff that if we can just get kids on campus and, and meet them face to face and sit down across the table and look them in the eyes that Hopefully we'll never do another Zoom again. But uh, it's the way it was, and, and hopefully it's a thing of the past uh, here in the future. Talk about your approach and your game plan that you went through the past seven months in putting together this roster. Yeah, so the, well, the first, the first thing we had to do was get the right staff in place, and I feel that we absolutely did that. For this uh, to go the direction that we see it going and want it to go, we knew that we had to have the foundation and the everyday representation of the program and the, and the staff to be a home run. And I saw it with Coach Buckley deciding to stay, Deshaun Henry deciding to stay, Will Saxon coming uh, from Oklahoma, Carlin Hartman from Oklahoma, Brandon Chappelle from the University of Lamar. I, I couldn't be in a better spot, I, believe, I truly feel, as a first-time head coach than to have those guys with me every day because they, I've known, known them all personally for a minimum two years. Coach Buck being the shortest, and if something's going a certain way, they have no problem to say it. And if I don't see something the way maybe they see it, they have no problem saying it because there is that level of friendship and trust there. And so that that was the first and the foremost thing we had to get. And then we had nine spots to fill after that. Mm-hmm. Keyshawn Gilbert decided to uh, honor his commitment to UNLV, which we were ecstatic about for him to come on. He's our only teenager, our only freshman. And then we just knew we had to go out and fill a roster, but having almost a blank roster allowed us to maybe do certain things that that were good for us and, and not just take people we had to take. We could take a few guards, a few bigs, a few ball handlers, a few shooters, and really try to piece the roster together as best we could for this upcoming season. What were your what were your main goals in recruiting? Like you said, you basically, you know, a lot of guys will have to just fill two or three spots, but you basically had to fill nine or ten spots here. So what did you really want to go after in recruiting? I think we talk about it a lot of the staff when we're recruiting, uh, when we're going to watch kids play in live events. I think with the parity the way it is in college basketball right now, if we can go get a group that has fun playing and competing, like look for the guys that are out there enjoying dancing, you know, talking to their teammates, high-fiving and having fun. And then, of course, they have to have a certain skill level to play high-level Division One basketball. But if we can get enough of those guys together and just have fun competing and getting better every day, uh, we just feel that we'll be on top at the end. And and I think that's that's what we've done with this group. We've got a group that enjoys being around each other, enjoys being in the gym. You know, if, if you've been to a practice, you'll see three or four of them dancing during during practice when the music's going, and and they're just having fun. And we'll make sure and we'll stay after them to compete and, and challenge them and, and try hard and think. But, you know, if you're not going to be excited to be there, it's just not going to be much fun and it's not going to be the best for UNLV. 
You know, a lot of people say, Kevin, that, you know, UNLV hasn't been real successful, you know, lately. I mean, heck, going back to your dad and when you played here was probably the 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 last time this program was successful. But with UNLV, with Las Vegas now being kind of a sports hub and, you know, with the Raiders and the Golden Knights and a, this growing community, is UNLV really um, a, a place now where you can utilize all of these elements, the past tradition, the past history, as well as the Raiders, the Golden Knights, and everything else that's going on. And, and I'm curious, when you get in that living room now, what are your main points of emphasis about selling your program and UNLV? Yeah, I think, you know, Vegas is still, you know, UNLV has been here 60 years and it, a very proud basketball tradition. And I think at the core of Las Vegas is still, people who have been here for a long time supporting UNLV. So while the Raiders are great and the Golden Knights are great to have here and the Aces and Aviators and on down the line, I think, if anything, that just strengthens it uh, when we sit in the living room with, with a recruit talking about how this is becoming the sports capital of the world. You know, the intro of your show talks about it being the entertainment capital of the world, but I, I think it's kind of hard to say that we're not becoming the sports capital of the world with USA Basketball here uh, probably for as, as long as, you know, they'll – they want to be here. The players love being here. The fans love to come out and show support them in the in the middle of the summer and the NBA summer league here. And I wouldn't be so you know if the major league baseball team moves here in the future. And so I think uh, as much as anything, while uh, you know some people can say yeah, there's a lot of other things to do. I, I think there's still enough uh, diehard Rebel fans that if we can put a team out there that is a great representation of UNLV and this city, the fighters mentality of the city that, yeah. that uh, people will come back. Yeah, Kevin's right. See, the, the show open is a little bit old, okay? Numchat, we got to update that. To, it's got to be the sports and entertainment capital of the world now. There you go. Thank you very much, Kevin, for, for producing here. It's a good point. I appreciate Everybody that. Always, <laughs> no problem. Uh, Bryce Hamilton is returning. Uh, what was that conversation like? Um, but not not a lot. I mean, if you've had Bryce on the show or if you've met mm-hmm. Bryce, you can you know he's a man right. of few words, and he's uh, <laughs> you know in the in the last two years, I had the opportunity to spend time with Bryce and and meet him and and be around him, and I think there was some some trust that was developed over those two years, and so when he put his name in the portal in the NBA draft, we supported that, and we, we kind of gave our our pitch of how we saw this going for him. And I think because of those two years of trust, uh, at the end of the day, he decided to come back and, and go with us uh, because I think he knows when we say something, we're going to try to do it to the best of our ability. Right. You have several transfers, obviously, here, and you've got three fifth-year guys. Not a lot of coaches will do that. Uh, talk talk about the, the elder statesmen of this team. Yeah, you mean with Royce, Mike, and James? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think uh, it, again, it just it was people that, you know, Royce wanted to come from Texas, just wanted to be a, a little bigger factor in the scouting report. So we're ecstatic to have him. And then James uh, Hampshire looking for a place to play and and hopefully go to the NCAA tournament. And, and kind of the same with Mike Nuga, who came from Kent. Uh, these guys just wanted to go somewhere, be a part of the team that could you know be a focal point of a scouting report with a little bigger role and responsibility but at the end of the day also help the team get to the tournament and i think that's kind of that that was something that all the transfers chose to come here because they wanted to help get us back Uh, you mentioned the previous success we have a banner from 2013 uh, coach rice's 
one of his uh, last couple of years. Yes. So that's the last time we went to the NCAA tournament. That's right. And we don't feel that our goals right now should be to get this thing going in a couple of years. We think with this team, if we can, you know, sell out for each other and and play together, there's no reason we can't have the NCAA tournament as a goal. All right. Uh, fans really don't know what to expect because they're not going to know a lot of these players. They're familiar with Bryce Hamilton and Marvin Coleman. But what will this team look like as far as style of play and personality of this team? Yeah, so we we had two close scrimmages, and I think the, the thing that we really liked about this group is they played hard and played together and and played for each other. And, and it's going to take some time. We're going to continue to gel and continue to learn each other. And as coaches, we're going to continue to tinker with lineups and try to find the, the best matchups uh, and the best, you know, cohesion for the group. And that might take us a few, a few times, you know, I doubt it'll be perfect on Wednesday night, but you know, if we can continue to grow with an older group and continue to get better throughout the course of the year, uh, the maturity is there and the experience is there. So hopefully we can just continue to get better and, that's just with our non-conference schedule. That's something we're banking on. So the time the Mountain West rolls around, we've had, you know, we're going to have two top, two of the top three preseason teams in Vegas in the first uh, month or so, and and then we'll also have teams from other side of the country. So the should be, get us ready for the Mountain West if anything. All right, Kevin, what do you want fans to know about this team this year? I just want them to come out and support them, and just kind of give them a chance. Just come out and and give them a chance to represent fans, the city, and the school, uh, the way that the fans, the city, and the school should be represented. Because as a a former player, I think that's uh, when you when you watch the team, you're you're really proud of the groups that just compete and try hard. And you're not going to win every one of them, but uh, you you can watch them go fight and and you can hang your hat on it and carry your you know wear your UNLV stuff proudly. If you got a group out there that competes and fights and, and has a lot of pride in being at UNLV. All right. Final thing here, Kevin. Let me ask you this. So, because you played here and you're so familiar with the arena and the program and this city and everything, as you take over uh, a head coach here of your alma mater, basically, is there something that you want to implement, like in as far as like game presentation, or do you kind of leave that alone and just hey, I'm only focusing on the guys here, or you know what 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 is something if there is anything that you want to see maybe done differently that hasn't been here in, in years past or in, in TJ's regime? Yeah, I think we focus more on the guys, um, but we do absolutely make it an effort for the guys to learn and understand the history. Uh, I mean, I'm actually wearing a Hardway 8 t-shirt right now. Okay. And, and I mean, just the, you know, it, it's weird because as a player, you really don't understand it, and you shouldn't because you're you're living in the moment. But, uh, you know, as a, a former player, there's, you, you know, you, you get excited and you, you get you're proud of them to represent the school you played for. And so we've had guys uh, come and talk to the team, uh, you know, Richard Box uh, and, you know, uh, I mean, Leon Samansky came by, uh, you know, Rene Rougeau, Curtis Terry, Mike Mosier, Steven Zimmerman. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys have popped into practice or a workout or, or spent some time around the guys. But uh, the one of the things we really wanted these guys to know was how much the city – and the community loves UNLV. And we think that they did a great job of explaining that to them and, 
and hopefully these guys will take that with them and understand how much support they have. Yeah, some great alumni there. Did, did you get Curtis to uh, to uh, lace him up and then go up and down the floor with you guys? <laughs> no, we didn't. He's a, he's retired onto the to the booth now. So uh, I know, but he still thinks he so. has game, though. He, you know, you talk to him, he still thinks he has game. You know? Oh, of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> His confidence was never an issue. That's it, my man, Kevin. Always appreciate talking with you, man. Uh, congratulations again. Looking forward to not only Wednesday night but this entire season. And it just, I don't know. I'm just going to speak for myself, and I think a lot of Rebel fans and a lot of us in the media as well too. We just kind of have this renewed sense of optimism and energy and that's just the way I feel about this again because you are you, you get it. you get the tradition you played here uh, you know this city in and out and I know how much you've wanted this job so uh, I, I'm excited I think a lot of Rebel fans are excited no thank you I appreciate that yeah no problem all right uh, Kevin Kruger do you remember your song that you gave us when we did our song fest uh, a few months back when I when I hit I you up Stand by me, Look by at, Vinny There it is, man. See, there, there you go. See, he, he remembers exactly. See, Numbchuck had all that ready, queued up, and he's saying that's exactly what your team needs to do, man. They need to stand by you during this time right now. <laughs> there you go, man. There it I take that song for my wife, but I'll make sure to tell them that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they'll say, what? What kind of song? Is, oh, well, yeah. They probably know the movie. Hey, that's, a, that's, that's about as far as they go with that, though, right? No, absolutely. There you go. All right, my man. Look forward to seeing you on Wednesday. All right, have a good one. Thank you. You got it. There he is, Kevin Kruger, the head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels. And I mean that. I'm very excited about this regime. You know, as much as I like TJ Altselberger, Marvin Menzies, Kevin Kruger, Long Kruger. I mean, two of my favorite guys. So look forward to it. Get your tickets. Let's uh, start filling up the Thomas and Mack Center. 7 o'clock, Wednesday night, Gardner Webb in town. You know their mascot there, Numchuck? Yeah. From the Big South. All right. And then Cal's coming to town, you know, on Saturday. So a couple of good, uh, good games coming up. All right. When we come back, Matt Holt will join us. We talk a little NFL on this magnificent Monday. Now, now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. That boy's good. The Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, don't forget, join us Fridays at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, 2 to 4 p.m., of course, our Best Bet segment, and a whole lot more. Come on out and check us all out right there. The Sportsbook, powered by William Hill at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And not only, we had Jay Schrader, who came down last Friday. Great stuff with Jay. That was good. But I did get to a chance to indulge in the Blue Ribbon. That's right. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yes, yes. I'm getting the signs from the peanut gallery here again. That's a, why do you hate on me? Just because I, I say I went to Blue Ribbon. I mean, the chicken. Even had the filet mignon. That's right. Had my French fries, my fresh cut fries, the tomato soup. Don't turn me off. What are you talking about? Jeez, Chuck. You act like you've never had Blue Ribbon before. I've treated you there. Come on. You have to get out of the studio once in a while, okay? There it is. But, uh, yeah, the great food at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Fantastic. All right, speaking of fantastic, our good friend Matthew Holt joins us, U.S. Integrity. What's going on, my friend? Man, what a crazy weekend. Again, back-to-back weeks, TC, in the Circus Survivor, where we have seen heavyweights going down. Look, 
This thing started with almost 4,500 people. We are down to less than 10% of the original entries. That's $4.5 million worth of entries. Over 4 million of those entries already eliminated. You know your man, Matty Holt, is still alive. <laughs> But I need the Steelers tonight, my friend. Oh, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. And I was going to say, he is so excited. You know darn well, my man, Matty Holt, he is still alive and well. That's awesome. So tonight, the Steelers. Oh, man. I looked at this game. I was going back and forth. And I said, I just can't pull the trigger on Justin Fields. Can not do it. And the way the Steelers are playing, I'm with you, man. Going, going with the curtain tonight, my friend. I think it's a big night for him. So I'm rooting you on. I think the Colts were clearly the best play. The problem is it's hard sometimes to pull the trigger on Thursday night games. Yeah. So early in the week, you're still trying to figure out, you know, we have a circle of millions, regular picks entry as well, and it's easy to let those Thursday night games get away from you. But once Thursday night passed, for me, it was always going to be Pittsburgh. So let's talk a little bit about this. And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with how the Survivor, you know, picks work and that sort of thing, where you're picking one team – you know, one week, and that's it, right? And you can only use that team, what, one time during the course of the season? Is that right? Correct. Right, okay. So now, where does the strategy lie as you are getting down to, we're almost kind of the home stretch here, and with so many people already eliminated, I mean, what is the strategy become, Matt? The circuit contest has a unique little twist that most survivor contests don't in that they count Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day as their own weeks. So basically, Thanksgiving week, you'll have to get through twice, Thanksgiving Day and that normal weekend games. Same thing with Christmas. You'll have to get through Christmas Day and the normal weekend games. So because of that, you know, I'll be honest, I would have used the Buffalo Bills yesterday too, which killed almost everyone in the contest, mm-hmm. except for the fact that they play on Thanksgiving Day. The Arizona Cardinals play on Thanksgiving Day. I've intentionally been holding up the Dallas Cowboys, the Buffalo Bills, the Arizona Cardinals, because I want to have them available on those two days. Because if you don't have a pick to make on Thanksgiving Day, you're out. And there's only two days on Christmas, two games on Christmas Day. And if you don't have one of those four teams, you're automatically out. So I will admit that I have heavily been saving those teams. And the fact that I've been saving the Buffalo Bills for Thanksgiving Day probably prevented me from getting eliminated this week. Yeah, that is true. Now, the tough part about the Survivor you know, stuff is when do you use the crumbum teams? When do you use the Giants? When do you use the Jets? Because uh, at some point in time, you're going to have to to use these sub uh, five hundred teams. I think we lost Matt, or we're having some phone difficulties with Matt here. I don't know. Uh, no, we can't hear you, Matt. I don't know if if you're on the cell phone or what, or. If you have access to a landline, but we're 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 dropping you here. So, um, here Numchuck's going to call, call call you back, and we'll 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 deal with that. So, all right, some good stuff there from Matt Holt. Uh, again, uh, our guy, and remember, Matt, you know, was was the runner up uh, in the super contest many many years ago. And my man is alive and well. I mean, where else do you you get this? This show. 
I mean, we've got guys that are hanging deep into the Survivor Series, guys that have either won or runner-up in the Westgate contest, and all of our best bets that are coming, you know, each and every week. So uh, this is this is great stuff. All right, Matt, we're back back to you. My question for you was that you know a lot of times you got to use these crumb bum teams, the Giants, the Jets, and in in teams of, of the lower echelon, and that is the art. Like, when do you use these? You you try to burn them up early in the season so you could stockpile some of these aces in the hole yeah well again and i don't know how where i got cut off but you have to save the teams for thanksgiving and christmas day because those days count as their own individual week so that's why i've been saving the buffalo bills but i mean i think we've done a pretty good job of mixing them in i took the 49ers week one they don't look so hot now tampa week two carolina week three they don't look so hot now Bengals week four patriots week five rams week six packers week seven chiefs week eight I have the Steelers now, so sort of a decent mix of getting rid of some of those teams. You know, we still have the Bills, still have the Cowboys, uh, but you're right. You have to mix in taking some chances, or you inevitably, even if you get through this far, you've used up all the good teams, and you start flipping coins. Yeah. Can you imagine if you had Baltimore yesterday? I mean, you're thinking they could probably get the job done oh, against so Minnesota. Yeah, and then you come back. And Lamar Jackson was not playing well at all until probably the fourth quarter, or at least that final drive. And then, yeah, you, you got lucky with the Ravens. I mean, I, I'm sure that would have knocked some people out too yesterday because the Ravens were a consensus six-and-a-half, seven-point favorite. Oh, huge number. If the Ravens would have gone down as well, um, then really it just would have been the people that took Indy Thursday night, and then if the Steelers get through us Steelers people tonight, it would have been down to the nitty-gritty, my friend. All right, let's handicap this game tonight. All right, so you've got the Steelers, a six-and-a-half-point favorite uh, over the Bears. We know the Bears you know, have struggled with uh, Justin Fields, had some moments against the 49ers last week, but still in the end he, he was Justin Fields. And then the defense really decimated with injuries. No Khalil Mack again tonight. Uh, you know, We've seen the Steelers kind of underperform, but the last three weeks they've been pretty good. Yeah, they have. I mean, look. They lost three games in a row to the Raiders, Bengals, and Packers, all pretty good teams. But now they've won three games in a row against the Broncos, Seahawks, and Browns, all pretty good teams. The problem with betting this game from a point spread perspective tonight, TC, is that the total is 39-and-a-half at some books. So there's not supposed to be a lot of points scored. So that seven-point spread comes with a real premium placed on it in a game that's supposed to be really low scoring. I love my position in Survivor because I think Pittsburgh's going to win, but inevitably in a game with so few points scored, every point means that much more. If I, had, if I wasn't using the Steelers tonight in Survivor and I had to pick a side in the point spread tonight, I'd probably be tempted to pick the Bears for no other reason than you have a point spread of 40 or 39 and a half and a seven point spread. Yeah, exactly the reason why I took the Steelers on a teaser, teased them with the Titans last night and really didn't need it, but I, I wasn't comfortable laying six and a half, you know, with the Steelers. I said, okay, just get it down to a pick em, basically. So 
Yeah, I'm. So we'll be rooting together, Matt. Uh, same team tonight. We'll Love be, that. Be rooting for the black and gold. There you go. All right. So let's talk about some of these games yesterday. Uh, you know, I like the Titans. Uh, I like this team a lot. They are my pick to come out of the AFC, and they're playing like it right now. I mean, the Rams. And I went over those numbers on on Friday. The the record the Rams have had beating up a lot of these uh, you know bad teams over the weeks, and and that line was inflated, and the Titans just took it to the Rams. Was plain and simple. Yeah, unbelievably, too. And, you know, without Derrick Henry, they never really got that running game going yesterday. And and Ryan Tannehill's passing yards total was 267 and a half. He didn't even get to 150 yards passing, yet they dominated that game. The pick six helped a lot. And even despite the pick six, they got pressure on Matthew Stafford every single time he dropped back the pass. That defensive line that Mike Vrabel has right there, right going on right now, is playing as good as any defensive line in the NFL. And what's funny is that was the big knock about this Tennessee Titans team. They were talking about the defense. Oh, you know, they give up a, you know, they're bad in the red zone and they had injuries and all that. But just look at what they've done. I mean, they held the Chiefs to three points. They beat the Buffalo Bills. They beat, uh, went on the road and beat the Colts, even though you could say, okay, you know, Carson Wentz was awful that game but credit the chief uh, rather the uh, titans defense for turning uh carson wentz into into putty last week as well too and they did the same thing with matt stafford last night yeah i think they need to start getting some credit for how good this football team really is and let's face it the derrick henry injury isn't going to keep him out all that long and he'll be back and when you can run the football the way they run the football and cause havoc the way that they do with their defensive line all Ryan Tannehill has to do is manage football games. And by the way, Ryan Tannehill has been good the last couple of years. And when they really needed him last night, you know, when they get the ball back finally with seven minutes to go and it's 21-9 and there's a little bit of anxiety because they haven't scored in the second half and here come the Rams, he leads them all the way down the field and they go in. They just needed to run clock. He doesn't care. They go in and score a touchdown. A beautifully orchestrated drive by Ryan Tannehill, and they get the job done. I mean, I love the way this team's playing right now. Ryan Tannehill's underrated. Mike Vrabel's underrated as the head coach. And, boy, this defensive line is getting after it. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, uh, Matt Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity. Let's talk about some of these other games. Uh, yesterday, Matt, I know that uh, – you, uh, we talked about the Raiders and uh, the Giants. Uh, really, not a great spot for this Raider team. But I liked the Giants yesterday because of not so much what transpired. You know, with the Raiders coming off the bye week, we've seen the Raiders really not be a good team the past few seasons coming off the bye. But for me, the way they played the Kansas City Chiefs the week before, and defensively, the way they eliminated Patrick Mahomes and uh, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, that carried over last week because you know Derek Carr. Uh, was was downright awful, especially in the fourth quarter. Again, credit the Giants' defense for winning that game yesterday. Yeah, something. I mean, I just think you can only deal with so many distractions if you're one team. And the Raiders have just had to deal with too many distractions from their coach and leader, John Gruden, and everything that happened there, and him having to step down to now all of the issues around Suggs. And, and I'll tell you, the Suggs, Suggs thing hurts in the community. 
because that's something that happened in the Las Vegas community. A young woman was killed in the in the Las Vegas community. And when that happens, it's up to the team to then go out and do reparations in the community and make sure those community relations are okay. And I just feel like this team has had to deal with so many distractions the last month to Raiders. And uh, it's too bad because this is a pretty good football team, but a lot of things besides football on their mind right now. All right, the Kansas City Chiefs will come to town Sunday night, a huge game for the Raiders. And we remember that the Raiders played the Chiefs very well last year, though no fans were in the building. Now uh, there will be plenty of Raider fans, but there's going to be a lot of Chiefs fans that come here Sunday night as well. And uh, do do you believe the Chiefs are starting to get it right? I understand Jordan Love was quarterbacking yesterday, but the Chiefs' defense looked pretty good. They still didn't score a bunch of points, but... We're all expecting the Chiefs team to really start, you know, putting the pedal to the metal here, and we haven't seen it yet. This the Kansas City Chiefs have shown the last couple of weeks that if they're going to win football games this year, it has to be different than the first couple of years of the Pat Mahomes era, where they would just outscore you forty-one to twenty-seven because you couldn't keep up. They would just score and score and score, and the defense would get a stop or two, and that's all they needed. But that's not the Kansas City Chiefs circa 2021. This offensive line isn't good enough. This defensive line isn't good enough. This team has to go out there, play their heart out, play, you know, kind of field position football. We saw it several times yesterday where the Kansas City Chiefs would drive out to midfield. Their offensive play calling would get conservative, and then they would punt it back to Green Bay deep in their own territory and force the uh, the young quarterback there to try to make plays and drive his team all the way down the football field. And Jordan Love wasn't terrible. He just couldn't maintain any long, consistent drives. That's what they did the week before in beating the Giants 2017. Look, this is a team in Kansas City that hadn't won two games in a row all year until the last two weeks, and they did it scoring 33 points combined. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Chiefs and Raiders Sunday night. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in this game. We'll see if the Raiders can, you know, get things together and we'll see if the Chiefs can uh, kind of turn things around because they've been void of scoring. We mentioned just a few weeks ago when Tennessee held them to, to three points and yesterday they only scored 13 at home uh, against the Packers. All right. Moving along, Matt, here. Uh, the Cleveland Cincinnati game, I think that caught some people by surprise. I mean, Joe Burrow was a turnover machine yesterday in Cleveland, despite all the problems they've had Baker Mayfield's injury and uh, everything else going on. It was all about uh, the Browns yesterday. Yeah, look, this is a good football team, and we've known this is a good football team. The one thing that we've known that, that the Browns don't deal with well is distractions, right? Getting rid of OBJ is only a blessing for this. Yep. He's on the field for Baker Mayfield. He's a distraction in the locker room. He's a distraction in practice. And I know it's easy to say that, but the stats show that out as well the last two and a half years that Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns are better when OBJ isn't on the field. And it feels like Baker Mayfield plays a lot more pressure-free. And while OBJ not being there garners all the headlines, the most important factor for the Cleveland Browns is simple. It wasn't about OBJ not being on the field. It was about Nick Chubb being on the field because when Nick Chubb is healthy and running the football the way he was this past Sunday for the Cleveland Browns, this Cleveland offense is virtually unstoppable. And he showed it again yesterday when Nick Chubb's running the football like that 
that's how that opens it up for uh, Baker Mayfield to play action pass. That's when the Cleveland Browns are at their best. 14 rushes, 137 yards yesterday for Nick Chubb. You got it. All right. The underdogs barking loud again yesterday with nine and three, seven outright winners. What surprised you the most there? Buffalo, Jacksonville. Yeah. How about the Buffalo Bills not scoring a touchdown against the Jaguars yesterday? This wasn't a Jaguars team that was known for their defense all year. They hadn't really been able to slow anybody down. Now, all of a sudden, you hold the Buffalo Bills out of the end zone for the entire game. I mean, Josh Allen had two interceptions in the game. Trevor Lawrence didn't do much. He threw for 118 yards. And yet, somehow, the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to pull off the upset yesterday. To me, that had to be the biggest shocker. Because this Jaguars offense, which, by the way, showed almost no life again yesterday, has shown no life all season long, and their defense hasn't done much better. But they showed up on the defensive side of the ball yesterday, made just enough plays. Neither team scores a touchdown in 2021 NFL you have a game where nobody scores a touchdown. Are we back in the nineties? You know, this is very reminiscent, and we referenced it a couple times here already of, of the Tennessee and Kansas City game, where Patrick Mahomes. Remember that game where they got three points? Like, are you kidding me? But Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, the last couple weeks, have looked identical. Where they're they're making turnovers, bad decision making, and the Bills seem like. They they moved the ball pretty much at will, but once they got past the fifty, they couldn't do anything. And there, there's some yeah, there are some question marks here uh, that I've seen the last couple of weeks. Like I said, with Mahomes and Josh Allen as well. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, and you know they were talking Josh Allen, big favorite for the NFL MVP award. All of a sudden, and uh, they certainly took a step back yesterday. And the other one that surprised me is without. Uh, you know, without Kyler Murray for the Arizona Cardinals to go on the road into San Francisco in a situation where the Niners were in a must win spot. If you're going to be even competitive in this ultra tough NFC West, that was a must win spot for the Cardinals. That line moved from Arizona minus two to San Fran minus three and a half, a five and a half point move with Kyler Murray out. And the Cardinals don't just go in there and win with Colt McCoy. They ran them off the field. They just dominated the San Francisco 49ers. I can't tell if, if the Cardinals are, and the way that they scheme are just so much better than I may have thought. Or is all the love going away for Coach Shanahan? Because uh, this, look at, they were bad last year, 49ers, and everybody gave him a pass, and they said, oh, it had to be all the injuries. Well, what's the excuse this year? Because the 49ers are not getting it done. They have lost 10 of their last 11 home games. And I'll tell you what, you said three and a half. Matt, this game actually closed. I was monitoring this, this game all day up until kickoff. It closed at five and a half yesterday. Oh, As, my yeah, gosh. San Francisco closed at five and a half. So basically, there was a, that's a seven-point swing. And I like wow. the 49ers you know, going back you know, earlier in the week. And I'm, I'm shocked, too. I mean, this was a game they needed to have, like you said. And the thing about it is they got George Kittle back. I mean, they're actually, you know, uh, you know, running the ball pretty well. Uh, Debo Samuel, you know, they got him. It just in the still got Boza on the defensive side. It made no sense. And then Colt McCoy, 
you know, when I heard Colt McCoy was going to start, I'm going like, well, you know, he's a veteran. And we've seen Colt McCoy in these type of spots before where he's actually performed better than people would, you know, expect him to. But, man, they did not miss a beat. I'll even make the argument that they were better with Colt McCoy than they have been sometimes this year with Kyler Murray. Just unbelievable. I mean, he was 22 for 26 passing. He only missed four passes all day, Colt McCoy. And once again, turnover problems for Jimmy G. And, you know, all all that talk, they wanted to draft Mac Jones. They were going to draft Mac Jones. Mac Jones made perfect sense in the offense they run. Ever since that whole, I feel like, draft snafu where somehow they got talked into taking Trey Lance instead, this 49ers team has just not been able to get any type of rhythm offensively all year long. It doesn't make sense because they got – Plenty of talent on both sides. And of Kittle the ball. went for over a hundred yesterday. Yes, Came he, back and had over a hundred yards. Absolutely, absolutely. Had a big. He had a big fumble there uh, too, and Ayuk had a fumble too. Yeah. And again, it was turnovers that really cost the Niners yesterday. All right, Matt Holt joins us. Matt, let's talk uh, real quick about uh, the college action on Saturday. We are now down to four undefeated teams. Uh, Georgia gets there, rolling away over Missouri, but if Cincinnati again struggled against Tulsa. Oklahoma's still hanging tight there. And, of course, uh, we got uh, Texas-San Antonio. We'll throw them in because they are undefeated. But uh, aside from Georgia, uh, who's the best of the undefeateds? Ooh, of the undefeated, I would say Cincinnati. Uh, I think Cincinnati's better than Oklahoma. They're certainly better than UTSA. Uh, but let, let's face it, Georgia's in a league of their own this year going to be a really interesting playoff because Oklahoma plays their three toughest games here down the stretch or Alabama still has a couple tough games including the Iron Bowl with a resurgent Auburn team Ohio State still has to play Michigan and Michigan State I mean there's still plenty of losses out there I know everyone's you know upset that Cincinnati was only number six in the initial rankings but I think outside of Georgia you could look at all those teams potentially losing a game or two if you're Cincinnati whether it's ugly or not just keep winning and we might have our first ever group of five in the CFP we could Matt but you know if we're going to play the eye test here in which we need to because when you're when you're fighting for your life against Navy and Tulane and Tulsa three weeks in a row no this this team is not a playoff team they're not at all you can say what you want Desmond Ritter you know is a nice quarterback but he's not a great quarterback and you know I'm usually all for this group of fives I used to be on you know the the, uh, the central Florida bandwagon when they were playing but you know they were dynamic this Cincinnati team just doesn't look dynamic and the results are bearing out that way and I don't care if you're undefeated or not I gotta believe I mean if things continue to go this way with Cincinnati where they're not blowing anybody out and they're playing competitive and they're they're letting teams hang around into the fourth quarter that you know we're gonna have maybe you know three Three one-loss teams here in, in the in the in the playoff of four. You have to remember they did go to South Bend and hammer Notre Dame by yep. double digits. That yep. has to mean something. But that's the only signature win they have. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So it's unfortunate that SMU lost because if SMU was still undefeated and ranked, that'd make for a great game on the twentieth. But you're right; they have no more proving games. The AAC championship's a joke. 
Um, they really need things to fall apart around them. What's weird this year, though, is things just might do that. You know, if you're Baylor, you got to be kicking yourself because they lost that game to TCU last week, obviously looking ahead to Oklahoma, and that's the game of the week this week. You've got Oklahoma yeah. at Baylor, and now you know Baylor has probably a legitimate shot to upset Oklahoma. I mean, this could be, this could be the game where Oklahoma gets knocked off from the unbeaten, but you know, after Baylor losing last week, uh, how do you scout this game? I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma almost lost to Kansas. But for all of Oklahoma's flaws, they almost lost to Texas. They almost lost to Kansas. They almost lost to whoever was Tulane early in the year. They've almost lost to everybody, basically, that they've played, yet somehow they found a way to win these games. I think that's actually going to mean something. And in a tight game this week, I think it could be Baylor, the deflated team, because now all of a sudden, you know, you're not playing for that potential CFP spot anymore now that you have that second loss. Uh, this team just finds ways to win, and if the point spread's low, I don't mind being on Oklahoma's side. Where you don't want to be backing the Sooners this year is is a big favorite. Absolutely. All right, he is Matt Holt. He's alive and well in the Circle Survivor Contest. Rooting you on tonight, Steel brother. Tonight. That's it. Wear your black and gold. Do, do I need to bring a terrible towel over for you? Do you need one of those to wave? Maybe. I don't own one. I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan, so I've never rooted for the Steelers in my life. But I am going to be swinging that terrible towel tonight, baby. All right, brother. Good luck to you, man. <laughs> All right. Thanks, TC. Good luck. Take care. There you go. Appreciate it. There he is. Good luck to you, my friend. All right. Yes. Circus Survivor. How about that? One of our own. What if Maddie Holt pulls this thing off, huh? Still alive. Oh, yeah. Over a million contestants, and boom. They're shrinking like flies, no doubt. All right, I want to thank Matt for joining us uh, today. Also, Kevin Kruger getting ready for UNLV opening night on the hardwood Wednesday night. Marquise Johns, editor of Big Fight Weekend, as we talked about Canelo Alvarez pummeling Caleb Plant uh, last Saturday night. Uh, that was great to be at. Uh, and, of course, uh, hearing from Mike Mayock and Derek Carr and Rich Passaccia as well. Uh, the Raiders coming off that loss to the Giants on Sunday. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Our interview with Kevin Kruger will be up there a little bit later on. And, uh, of course, we've got all of our coverage up there with the, the past interviews, the blogs. It's all on the website at tcmartinshow.com. Tomorrow, terrible Tuesday takes. Plenty of stuff. We'll have some Aaron Rodgers audio. Oh, yeah. you got to love that. And a whole lot more coming your way, too, tomorrow. So, so join us then. Have yourself a great Monday night. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2.